0: Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. At, 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 at Matthew Dickerson. Tech 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 Talk. Tech 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 Talk. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello Gadgeteers and welcome to another installment of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. How are you doing, Matt? Yeah, very good, thanks,
1: James. Before we start, actually, I've got a a little story that happened to me during the week where we've done some good in the world, James.
0: Ah, at last.
1: At last, finally. It's taken a few episodes, but we've done some good. We've talked before about smishing the phishing using SMS messages. That's a common way for people to now try and have them duped of their money. And I said make sure that you're aware of some smishing campaigns. In particular, there are some ATO, some tax office smishing campaigns. And so I had a listener tell me during the week that they actually got a text from from the tax office. And of course, the first thing I thought of was, well, I know what this is. I've heard James and Matthew talk about this. I won't dare click on that link. It actually turned out it was legitimately from the tax office, but they sent it through to their accountant and said, can you check on this because it looks like it might be a bit of a scam. Funnily enough, the tax office was just after a bit of extra information and the accountant contacted the tax office to talk to them about this particular client. And the tax office came back and said... Thanks very much. We've got the information. We did a Google stalk on that person and everything checked ah. out. <laughs> and, I, and I just I imagine the tax office would have access to every bit of information that you could possibly imagine, James. But just like you and I would do, yep. they went and clicked in Google, typed in the guy's name the and said, page. there you go. I've got the information I need now. Thanks very much. So <laughs> maybe they're not quite as advanced as I thought they were.
0: Thank the uh, fabulous interweb. All right. Now, today we're checking out um, a couple of really interesting topics here. We've got uh, a Stargate portal between um, some European cities, a a great little app for supporting Australian-made products and an exciting energy production prospect for rural communities. Now, we're kicking off today, though, with a story out of China. As the tech world moves forward with innovations getting smaller and smaller and faster and faster, our expectations get more and more demanding. Matt, I understand that a Chinese company reckons that 20 minutes is a little bit too long to wait for your phone to fully charge these days. Is that right?
1: It's become the new battleground. It used to be cameras. It used to be a whole range of other things that people wanted in their smartphones. But now it seems to be charging. And Xiaomi, and I I never know if I pronounced that right, X I A. Oh, am I? Sounds good. All right, good. Thanks. I've got the approval. So Xiaomi have come up with their latest charging technology, not available in one of their current phones at the moment, but they've been showing it off. And they're down to, get ready for it, eight minutes to charge a smartphone. Eight minutes? Yep. So from dead flat, fully charged, (laughs) eight minutes. Now, that's a 4,000 milliamp hour battery, which is about average for a, a normal size smartphone. Even if you go for their wireless charging option, which normally is a lot slower, then you're down to only 15 minutes for wireless charging with so, their latest charging. So
0: you realise this is just going to make me more impatient for other things now. So. <laughs> for everything. and then <laughs> the kettle's problem. taking too long to boil. <laughs> yeah. Can we
1: pump a few more kilowatts <laughs> through that? So you're right, we are at the point, I think, in society we do expect things almost instantly, but the good part for us is that these battlegrounds, whenever one company comes up with something, then the battleground or the battle lines are drawn, and so OPPO is also been working on this. Oppo got to the point recently where they had a, a charger that could get down to 20 minutes for a 4,000 milliamp hour battery. Again, Xiaomi. Charmy- haven't got this eight-minute one out yet, but that's been the next shot they've fired in the charging wars to say, well, you can do 20 minutes, we can do better than that. We'll get down to eight minutes. Again, they've got to bring this out in production.
0: Wow.
1: It's not long away before we'll just glance at a charger and that'll be it. It'll be fully charged.
0: And we'll be frustrated with that. That's oh, Jesus! Right, sure that glance is taking far too long.
1: Right, I've got to walk past the charger, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is good. It's, it's a long way away from when we used to have to plug in our phone the night at night time, wait for it to charge up overnight. If you didn't charge yeah. the next morning, it wasn't, oh, I'll just plug in and charge while I'm having breakfast and getting ready for work. It was, oh, no, I can't use yeah, my phone I'm now all day. day. <laughs> yeah. So we've come a long way since there. There's further to go, though.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll watch this space and who knows where we'll be in 10 years' time.
1: Well, that's right. I suppose the other thing, just sorry, before you finish off there, is that the good part about this is not only can I see this being applied for our phones, which is a little bit of impatience, but when you get to this sort of charging technology, on batteries, on phones, that charging technology can typically be applied in other things like electric vehicles. So yeah, the right. game when we get to that stage where we wait too long for an EV to charge, then this technology may well be applied with electric vehicles as well.
0: Yeah, well, so yeah, really... Do come back. You know, we'll have to listen to this podcast again in 10 years' time. You know What our imag- imagination was taking us there, or where our imagination was taking us um, yeah. Yeah, from this point in 2021, um, eight minutes still seems like a pretty fast time to charge <laughs> it does, your, it? <laughs> your phone. Buying local is something that I personally try to prioritise. Not only are we looking to uh, put a greater percentage of a dollar into our neighbours' pockets, but in terms of cutting down the energy wastage per se in, in transportation alone there's a great deal of merit. Apparently, there's now an app to help me find Australian products and support local industry. Is that right?
1: And I couldn't have thought of a better name for this app, James. It's called Strayan. <laughs> S-T-R-A-Y-A-N, as in I'm Australian.
0: Yeah, and I think you got the pronunciation right for that too, so well done. <laughs> yeah, good, right.
1: Good. So it is a, a quite a clever app. You scan a barcode, and then it gives it a score, and it gives it a score based on three main components, where the ingredients come from, where the ownership is of that particular company and where the product is made. And when I talked about this initially, I I came up with this story and was talking about it, and my daughter said, well, I'm going to go and have a look. So she downloaded the app on her phone and went to our pantry and started scanning our pantry to see whether I'd been a a good Australian and and bought good Australian (laughs) made products or not so it was quite interesting and it gave good information about the breakup of those three components and then the overall score out of 100 and I think the thing here is really when you're walking through the supermarket or anywhere it's not just in the supermarket you can use this scan a product it might be two products side by side they do similar things you're not quite sure which one to buy you pull out your phone, you scan both of them and see what the Australian score was. That's
0: right. And so start supporting local. Um, yeah, in, in the past, we sort of relied on a label like that little emblem, the mm. Buy Australian elb- um, emblem. Um, and now this is actually rating for the where the materials are coming from, who's actually manufactured the product and who's owning the product. And I yeah. think that's big. I think that's a really big step.
1: And now important yeah. because sometimes those things with the little green triangle that we used to see. When you go and look at the rules for that, it might have only been say fifty one percent ownership, but then they might have imported everything from overseas. But yeah. you, you had to go and really research it to find out where all that information came from to give it that little triangle. Whereas this gives you the, the information. Does all the hard work for you? Yeah. it
0: does the Google search. The,
1: the real interesting part is that when you see two products side by side and they're similar in every respect, and you think, well, I'll go the Australian one, typically the price then starts to become an issue and I think that's one thing that I've seen anecdotally. People say, yeah, I was going to buy that but it was a bit too dear so I went with a foreign product anyway and you go, well, it kind of defeated the purpose of it a little bit, maybe if they bought more Australian but there's some surveys that have said we used to think that 87% of us wanted to buy Australian. That was an important thing. That's increased lately. and That's increased. It has increased up to 93%. Wow, that's great. And maybe some of the time during COVID, I think there seemed to be more of a – across the world, people seem to become a little bit more nationalistic, I found, during yeah. COVID. So maybe that's part of that. But anyway, you've got the product there. They can scan 250,000 products now, which is great. Most importantly for you and I, James, one of the products range, they can scan a beauty product. So that's important, I thought. Not for um, me, can, yeah, for sure. <laughs> You can scan sports equipment, electronic devices, toys, car parts, and, of course, groceries, which would be the main thing people would use it for.
0: Yeah, I'd say that's probably going to be the biggest one, isn't it? Yeah. Um, now, I, I reckon it's a major plus, uh, and hopefully uh, a little more encouragement for a shift back towards maybe a healthier Australian manufacturing industry. Who knows? Ha,
1: what yeah. was that? Australian yeah. manufacturing? What are, you, yeah. what are you talking about, James? Maybe
0: one day in the future. <laughs>
1: that's a myth, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Now, I'm not a snorer personally, uh, despite what my wife says. I'm sure of it. Are you a snorer, Matt?
1: (laughs) Well, I got asked this question earlier, and I got in big trouble from my wife (laughs) because they said, you're a snorer. I said, I'm not really. And in the background, my wife burst out laughing. Shut up. So I think think that was the indication that the answer is yes, James.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, here's a story that's either going to ease some tensions in the bedroom or maybe exacerbate them further. We'll wait and see about that. But Fitbit has a handy little app to... um, detect snoring is that right
1: they've got they've got fitbit watches obviously that people are familiar with they keep adding features as all technology products seem to do and the latest feature they've added is snore detection and the, the good part about this is you can wake up in the morning then and have a look at your sleep pattern to see how it was have a look at your snoring how many decibels your snoring consisted of so you get a, a bit of an idea of your sleeping the, the really interesting part from things like this is what do you do next you detect that you've been storing, you've detected it's 87 decibels and deafened everyone in the house, you <laughs> slept straight through it.
0: That, that's my old brother. I once travelled with him through um, Indonesia and I tell you what, I've never slept through someone logging a forest <laughs> before. But that, yeah, I tell you, you keep going. And Sorry, it is mate. unpleasant sitting beside someone that's work. storing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't and, know how and his wife goes. The
1: incredible part is that they sleep through it. So how how do they manage to sleep through it while someone beside them is sitting there wide awake while the snoring goes on? <laughs> but this would give them... So that, that will solve, I think, some arguments. When you wake up in the morning and your partner says... Damn it, you snored so loud all night. No, I didn't. Let's look at your watch. Let's look at the, the data and forget about the stories. Let's let's base it on facts. So well, I know
0: what's coming next. So this Fitbit then delivers an electric shock. Maybe <laughs> maybe a pillow gets launched from somewhere in the wall, a cavity in the wall there, and then lands you in the head or whatever. Or maybe the, the mattress upends you or something like that. I can
1: like, see some little add-ons, some third-party add-ons. Maybe not from Fitbit officially, but maybe some third-party yeah, add-ons. Yeah, yeah. Link it through to the rest of your bed. This and
0: is then... exciting, folks. This is an exciting <laughs> field to get into. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so the Snore Tracker. The snore no.
1: tracker and, and again I think it's that thing, do something with it. If you if you do get the snore detection, if you do get some results through the next morning, you, you might know about it, you might not know about it, but then go and do something with the data. And that's that's one of the issues I think with all these wearables, we've got ECGs, we've got heart rate meters, we've got all this information we're being fed. Sometimes people say, Well that's good, don't need to see the doctor anymore, I can take care of all that. But I think the important message here is when you get the information, because snoring can be an indication of some other more serious issues. Yeah, so yeah, you don't sure. want to just go, oh, yep, look at that. I hit a, a snore score last <laughs> night. <laughs> got, <to do laughs> I, I, I got my best ever. But then maybe do something with that about it.
0: All right. Now, here's a juicy story for fans of the BBC drama The Bill. Some UK bobbies have raided a premise um, mistakenly believing that the extra electricity and the big heat signature coming out of the walls, etc., uh, was a giveaway for a big drug operation. Matt, talk us through the big surprise they got.
1: We do talk about the UK police a bit, actually. They're doing some some good work, aren't they? They do. They don't carry guns, which I always find absolutely fascinating. They've got their little stick. Don't don't go any further, I'll (laughs) catch you with my stick. But in this case, they were doing some surveillance on an industrial unit, and all the classic signs of a marijuana growing operation were going. You mentioned the heat signature, they'd done some drone flyovers. They picked up the heat signature. There was a significant amount of electricity being used. There were people coming back and forth and they were wearing beanies and uh-huh, hoodies suspicious absolutely so, so obviously there was a drug operation going on so finally they got the drug squad together they got the, the Birmingham police ready to go and raid this unit and they raided the unit and there wasn't a plant to be seen and so they thought they'd made a terrible mistake and were ready to apologise. What they found were 100 computers sitting in this operation, which they found a little bit strange. And yeah, when they right. investigated a bit further, they found 100 Antminer S9 machines. Now, Antminer. Antminer, they're machines that people use to mine Bitcoin. So they had 100 of these machines.
0: Mining Bitcoin. Hang on a second. Now, you're going to have to explain this a bit further, Matt. Uh, mining Bitcoins? Is this like catching Pokemon or something?
1: Oh Yeah, okay, let's go with that. I, I think that's a pretty good actual an- analogy there. Mining Bitcoin. The whole thing with Bitcoin is, as you know, there's no central bank controlling Bitcoin. There's no government controlling it. Yeah, it, it's, it blows it's, me away. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really interesting concept. So
0: how you mine that is even more interesting.
1: It is. And so it's a, it's a mathematical equation effectively that's being solved. And each time that that solving occurs, you get one Bitcoin. At the very beginning of Bitcoin, when there were lots of those Bitcoins out there, there's a finite number of Bitcoins. When there were lots of Bitcoins, it was fairly quick to solve a Bitcoin or to solve the mathematical equation. Therefore, you got a Bitcoin relatively easily. It might have taken days, for example, of a normal computer to solve that equation.
0: And was was able to soak up enough people to get into this to want to really start to invest, right? And then that's when more
1: people said, hey, we can do that to the point where a company makes ant miner machines that are specifically designed to mine Bitcoin. But then As the number of Bitcoin becomes fewer, the mathematical equation becomes more complex. So it takes longer to mine a Bitcoin. Now again, they're worth more money. So some people say, I'm gonna have, my whole business is just to mine Bitcoins. That's My my job in life is to mine Bitcoins. The problem is the amount of electricity you're now using to be able to solve the equation for one Bitcoin is worth more than a Bitcoin is worth, even though Bitcoin is worth a lot of money at the moment. In this particular scenario, They, The Birmingham police thought that they'd stumbled across someone just mining lots of Bitcoin. Good luck to them. If that's what you want to do in your life, that's fine. But then they just felt like those people with hoodies – were just giving away something. So they looked a bit further and they found that they were actually stealing the electricity. Oh. So, so rather than just being a nice innocent operation setting up an industrial shed to mine Bitcoin, they were doing all that but then they worked out that it would cost them more money in electricity than the amount of money they would make out of the Bitcoin. So they thought if we can get the electricity for free, we're in front. <laughs> so they just basically were running the cables from a nearby industrial estate and stealing the electricity from there. Goodness So mate. they were still in trouble. They still had a, a raid on their hands. It just wasn't a, a drug raid. It was an electricity mining raid.
0: So, if you're going to steal electricity, you've got to look a lot more, well, a lot less suspicious, I guess. Just wear a suit, I would say. That would be, yeah, be my right. advice, yeah. Like you know what you're doing. <laughs> um, this is a symptom of a world gone crazy. But anyway, we'll, we'll just, we'll move on from there, I think. Yeah. Um, Sorry,
1: just to give you one oh, more yeah. extra stat there is that the, the last study that I saw from Bitcoin Electricity was that about a quarter of percent of world electricity consumption was consumed in mining Bitcoin. So that gives you an idea of just what? how much electricity is used. Now that's obviously updated. I haven't got the latest stats on that one yet, but there's a significant amount of, of electricity used in mining Bitcoin.
0: So the guy who developed the idea of Bitcoin, he just doesn't ever stop grinning, does he?
1: <laughs> I, I am convinced I'm I'm not a big fan of Bitcoin, James. I am convinced he's sitting somewhere sitting on a large pile just of cash dealing. and laughing at everyone else <laughs> out there. <laughs> basically arguing over Bitcoin, should we buy it, Shouldn't, should we not. Oh, I've made lots of money out of Bitcoin on paper, but I can't sell all these things that he's just sitting there chuckling away to himself.
0: I've got this image of Uncle Scrooge um, diving <laughs> in his vault of cash, but <laughs> this guy's just got Bitcoin, so, um, yeah. Well, well, no, well, no,
1: I think he's smart enough that he's probably yeah, cashing yeah, in some of the Bitcoin. Cashed,
0: right, okay. <laughs> over the past 20 years, automation has been creeping into our lives uh, more and more, and it and it seems to be gaining more steam lately, if you'll pardon the industrial era reference. Um Matt, I believe you're going to give travellers a little bit of something to think about when they're planning their future overseas holidays. Is that right?
1: We can't fly overseas at the moment, so yeah, I don't okay. want to scare so people in too much. the future we're talking about. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I don't want to scare people too much, but... The, the, the story just reminds me of Flying High, one of my favourite comedies. Flying High, yeah. Or if
0: you're an American or somewhere else overseas, I think they called it airplane, didn't they? Air, air, or no, airplane, airplane
1: yeah, sorry. rather than aeroplane, yeah. which I think because Americans refer to them as airplanes rather than aeroplanes. But yeah, certainly, I think it was called airplane. Exclamation mark. Yeah. In, Either way, in we're talking about Leslie Nielsen, aren't, aren't we? One right. of the classics. Enough said. Yeah. <laughs> so in that, there's that famous scene there where Elaine Dickinson, not spelled the same as my surname, uh, but uh, Elaine Dickinson, uh. the stewardess comes in and and she's talking to the control tower after Captain Over collapses and he's dragged out of the cockpit and they said turn on the automatic pilot and so she flips the switch and up comes a blow up doll of the automatic pilot and starts flying the plane and the funny part is yeah that's why i won't go further with that one james but the funny part is that when we're sitting in a plane the the plane takes off we we sometimes see that the pilots get into the cockpit and it takes off and it flies somewhere and we seem to generally get the other Uh, end and
0: there's someone's voice that comes over the announcer like over the speakers as well so yeah yeah, introducing themselves as a speaker they might as well be somewhere in in the the Qantas lounge.
1: that. They could be in the Qantas Lounge. They could be sitting somewhere else in the plane. They could be sitting right next to you. So we, we don't know what really goes on in the cockpit. We assume there's a couple of pilots up there, and autopilot no. that we hope, an autopilot that runs it is, is some sort of electronic concept. But back in about the 50s, we had about five people up in the cockpit. Yeah, A flight engineer, I don't know what the flight engineer did, but a radio operator, I can work out that one, they operated the radio. So they had a whole person (laughs) dedicated to operating the radio. Just to choose the good
0: songs, that's all. (laughs)
1: That's right, my playlist for today. And then they had the navigator, and that seemed like a pretty important job getting us from A to B. The the navigator seemed like they did a pretty good job. They've they've reduced, obviously, from those days, from five down to two, and we, we seem to be okay with that. We seem to be pretty comfortable, and we trust Autopilot, and I think we do because Autopilot's been around... For a long time. Yeah. I imagine it had been around for decades, but no, autopilot, the first autopilot ever used was used in 1912.
0: What? Get out of here. Not many 1912. Yep, that's right. So Not, I'm, I'm, I'm envisaging a bit of steampunk here. I'm thinking like there's going to be leaves and, and handles out holding onto that main joystick there, but you're going to tell me something different, I guess. No, it probably is like that, actually. (laughs) It wasn't that
1: many years before 1912 when when one of the Wright brothers was laying down on his his stomach with with the the levers, as you say, but the the first autopilots focused on direction. So they basically had a a compass set up that would then focus on steering it in the right direction because it was pretty hard. You didn't have the GPS in your plane back in 1912. So Mm. that was the first autopilot. So we've had some time to get used to it, but there's a company in America now that's going a step further. And they're thinking, well, look, we're okay with autopilot flying for most of the trip. We're okay with a couple of pilots down from five in the in the cockpit. So, what about getting to the stage where we reduce the pilot numbers further to zero? How do you reckon the travelling yeah. public would go then?
0: Well, we've had conversations about people um, having a concern about having no taxi driver or having no driver in the car. Mm. I think you I mean, talked yeah, about Johnny about Cab previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well. Now we're talking about, yeah, no one in the cockpit. Yeah, what do you reckon? Yeah. Well, look, I had a conversation with um, someone who was in the automotive industry about 15 years ago and he was talking about how it's probably easier to land a plane than to steer a car along a road. I think that's something different though. But to, um, sorry, it's easier to land a plane or get a plane to take off by autopilot. But that was was ages ago and I'm not quite sure that there was much to back it up then. But (laughs) yeah, we're now at a stage where we're looking at pilotless
1: planes. And and I think your friend has probably got a point there because in a plane and an airport, you've got a controlled environment. You don't have too many dogs or kids running across the runway. You don't have streets going across with traffic lights. You have a fairly controlled environment. In cars, you don't. So, We're at the point now where this particular company is converting a fleet of 55 King Airs. Now, we know the King Airs in Australia because they're all flying doctor service. They use, uh, I think they've got about 40 King Airs in their fleet. So it's a, a plane that we're fairly familiar with here. They're converting 55 of these King Airs to completely autonomous flight, takeoff to landing, the whole lot no pilot on board, no people on board at this stage. okay. So their approvals that they're getting through the FAA are for things like surveillance flights. And and, uh, the first thing I thought of was bushfires. Often you'll have a plane flying well above a bushfire to just keep an eye on the the actual progression of the fire to then tell water bombers down below, right, it's going in this direction, going east at 20 kilometres an hour, whatever. So surveillance is an important one. You might even have the point where freight, is taken from point A to point B. Freight went up across the world by about 9% over the COVID timeframe. So yeah, getting really? more yeah, okay. more planes up in the air with freight on board. So the, the first approvals will be no people on board, literally no people on board, no pilots on board, no passengers right, on bet. board and flying some of these flights. But obviously it's, it's going to get to the point where if you can fly these successfully with just freight, just surveillance, monitoring, that type of thing, it's not that far down the track before – Passengers will be getting on a plane. Goodness me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, I've got friends who um, are still a little bit concerned about flying regardless. I mean, a jumbo jet weighs tens of tonnes. Uh, hundreds of tonnes, I don't tons know. Sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, How do you get uh, this big lump of metal up in the air and get to stay there? They still don't believe in flight, would you believe, folks? Um, but, <laughs> you get some uh, new friends, James, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, it certainly gets them worried. That hasn't stopped them from going overseas and going on planes, but it had them worried for a long time, right? right. Um This is next level, though. Yeah. It is, isn't
1: it? And we, we wouldn't really know if they didn't advertise. I'm sure they'd probably tell people about it. There'd be some rules around that. But we wouldn't really know. When you get on the plane... You don't often see the pilot. You can't see in the cockpit anymore. They, they keep the, the door well, provided closed.
0: provided that guy in the Qantas lounge is talking over the loudspeaker, I'm fine with it. <laughs> that's yeah. right. If he tells me he's on the plane, then I'm going to believe Everything's okay. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're not, he,
1: they're not talking. You know. we, we've got drone operations we've seen that we've been a little bit familiar with, again, not passengers on board, and that's someone remote controlling a plane. And so we kind of go, well, that's okay-ish. There's still someone controlling it, but this wouldn't even have that. This might mm. have a person who's in monitoring status they might be monitoring say 10 flights maybe 20 flights maybe 100 flights at once so that if there was a problem on one of those planes then they'd say right we'd better go and take some control and, and do something manual here right and, and i've watched one of my favorite shows is air crash investigations which sounds a bit sad but i, I like the investigation and the science process behind that <laughs> but but we all know when we watch a show like that that autopilot is fantastic until it isn't fantastic. And when we saw, I remember, uh, Air France flight 447, that flight, that crash was blamed directly on the autopilot. And, of course, the the Boeing 737 MAX saga, where we had two crashes, unfortunately, was Mm. that. And, again, both of those were blamed directly on the autopilot. So the autopilot's great until it's not. The autopilot's great given the fact that it's still relying on humans to have programmed the autopilot. And if they make a mistake in the programming, then you still have consequences that are pretty dire. Hmm.
0: Well, again, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see which way that goes or how how, how long it takes for that to take off. But um, very oh, interesting.
1: Oh, no, the puns are still rolling out, James.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so here's another cool idea. Uh, the good people of Lithuania and Poland have come up with a really clever idea for reconnecting people in the COVID era and employed some pretty nifty sci-fi props. Is that right?
1: (laughs) I don't mind Stargate. It's not a bad show. The the whole idea of the big portal there. But I I really think there were some people in in the government in Lithuania and Poland who probably watched a bit too much Stargate. And they came up with the concept of having the Stargate portal. Looks very much like the one out of the show. In between... Lithuania and Poland about 600 kilometres apart the two cities there and you walk up to the big portal and you can't jump through it and be instantly transported that'd be quite nice. So
0: we're not quite at that stage yet. No no. I think Einstein talked about a wormhole didn't he at some stage you know shrinking
1: time fabric of space or something so we're not quite there but what it is is essentially just a really cool bit of video conferencing you've got a really good camera and screen set up at one end in a groovy circle and at the other end you've got the same thing so you can walk up to the Stargate portal and talk to someone at the other end who's 600 kilometres away and have a conversation and exactly as you said in COVID times we can't travel between countries even between cities or states easily sometimes but we still want to be able to be connected and this is a way to try and keep Two areas, two cities, two countries connected.
0: So you, you plonk this this Stargate portal oh. um, at one of your historic landmarks or maybe in a plaza or a shopping mall or somewhere like that and, yeah. um, and attract the folks to the big screen to come and talk to some strangers.
1: That's right. And, and I, if I was doing it, I'd put it up against a, a big brick wall so you kind of can't go around behind the other side of it so yeah, it looks like yeah, you're yeah. going through somewhere. I suppose I'd also want to have a bit of security at night time because I can just see some people having a few drinks at night time and going, oh, look at that, I can jump through the portal. And, of course, they they give you a hard landing when they hit a bunch of TV screens rather than hitting a a portal and being transported. But it's just a a cool little concept using technology that we've already got, and that's one of the the ingenious things that humans do. Sometimes we've got technology – And we say, well, how can we use that in a different way? And and here's a different way of using it. We can all pull out our smartphone and do a, a quick video call between here and somewhere else with our smartphones. But just having a permanent thing set up, I think, from a tourist attraction perspective, this would be a really popular tourist attraction.
0: Yeah, and look, depending on costs and whatnot, I can see these popping up all over the place. Surely. Yeah, yeah. yeah Someone yeah, better
1: yeah. To go and copyright that Stargate circle.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I mean, we might have you know several in a city, and it might be a common thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, yeah. yeah. Well, look, I can see it's definitely got an application there—a very practical application. If all I right. could
1: travel to Lithuania right now, I'd go there just have a look at this.
0: Folks harnessing the sun's power has gained some very solid momentum in the last decade. I understand the Scandinavians have been working hard to get their roads to start producing electricity, but that was like at least five or six years ago. Um, What's the latest on the solar cell front?
1: Yeah, solar cells, the the real secret here, the, the, the holy grail they're all searching for is that increase, that big increase in efficiency. Surface area, which, which again, I've talked about before, if, if you don't know the answer in a science question, surface area is always Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a safe option. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But in, in terms of solar cells, it really is. The, the thing to get more power out of solar panels is surface area. Now, sometimes you get a limit. If you've got a roof space you want to put solar panels on, you do get a limit. You've only got so many square metres of roof space. So the next thing to try and do then is increase the percentage of efficiency. And there's a couple of ways to do that. One is obviously with our current silicon solar panels, we're probably hitting a bit of a limit in terms of how efficient they are now. But the other part is we've often got glass and glass on big buildings, glass on skyscrapers, not so much glass around our house because often that's covered up by eaves and, and maybe trees around our house. But on larger buildings, there's all that glass being exposed. Yeah. So some researchers are now at the point where they've achieved 19.8% efficiency for a semi-transparent cell. And that's, that's huge. That's a huge number. Yeah, I number.
0: think that's a huge number. Uh, yeah. Sorry, normal,
1: normal silicon cells that we have on our roof, normal PV cells, in terms of production ones now they're usually about 23.3 percent so 19.8 percent for something that is a window is a a semi-transparent piece of uh, material is pretty impressive so you can start to imagine take uh, a skyscraper think of the roof space of that solar panels on that well it's not that big an area really take an entire face uh, say a north-facing wall of that skyscraper all those windows, replacing all those yeah. with solar panels at 19.8% efficiency, you start to get some serious energy production there.
0: And, and if the concrete in them is um, all battery concrete, then um, hey, yeah, exactly you're right. living uh, in the future. The,
1: the one from, from last week where yeah. you're using those as batteries. Then you, you go a step further. What I found fascinating here was then the researchers started looking at combining semi-transparent cells with normal silicon cells. So put a semi-transparent cell over the top of a silicon cell. And and the first thought I had was, well, surely the semi-transparent cell is taking all the goodness out of the electricity and there's not much left to come through to the cell underneath. But by actually doing it the way they did it, they still got their full efficiency out of the semi-transparent cell and they still managed to get enough out of the underneath cell that they managed to get 28 Point three percent combined. Oh, wow. So that takes your normal roof panel at 23.3 and effectively boosts it to 28.3. Obviously, there's more expense in this. Obviously, you get a semi-transparent on top. It's going to make it more expensive to produce it. But again, we're talking about trying to increase that efficiency. So if we can increase that efficiency, then it's worth the extra cost, one-off cost for that ongoing cost for, you know, not forever, but it's certainly going to be a long lifetime.
0: But as you say, being transparent, um, anything that you don't mind putting behind glass also becomes an area where you can be harnessing the sun's power as well.
1: Harnessing the sun's power behind that, that's right. But but you can just use it in normal. So we've talked about smart glass before that will redirect uh, sunlight coming into a building to try and heat up a building in in winter, for example. And and you could use it for that way. You could actually have on the outside of this a semi-transparent cell, then smart glass with mirrors in the middle of that to still take advantage of that Energy coming into your building, but picking up some efficiency through the, the semi transparent glass in the first place. So and it opens up a whole range of possibilities.
0: You would be like Buck Rogers in the 25th century. <laughs> yes, I think right. that'd be great. Um, yeah, look forward to that too. <laughs> Hydrogen, somewhat of a super fuel. When you react it with water, you get tons of energy, and your only waste product is water. But in Australia, as opposed to places like Iceland, where it's really taken off, it's been going gangbusters for like 30 years or so, I, th- I believe, in Iceland. Um, we're only just starting to get into this. Uh, Matt, tell us how hydrogen production is likely to kill a couple of birds with at least one stone.
1: Well, at least one stone. Green hydrogen is, is the secret here. People talk about hydrogen. Some people that I talk to that aren't the biggest fans of EVs, they say, no, no, I'm not going to change away from my ice car until we get hydrogen cars. That's the real, the real answer to our problem. And that's fine. But at the moment, most of the hydrogen, in fact, 99.9% of the hydrogen around the world that's produced is produced using some sort of dirty power. Oh, so coal right. or gas or something. So sure, you've got the hydrogen. here. look at this. We've got hydrogen. We'll use that in our car. Yeah. But it's not much better than just burning petrol in the first place because you've had to burn something else to then run the electrolysis process to actually get the hydrogen. So what we really want is green hydrogen. As I mentioned, there's 0.1% of all the hydrogen around the world is green hydrogen. Well,
0: that's Iceland's advantage because they've got... Such excellent geothermal power Mm. up there. They've got clean energy to produce it so they've been able to go gangbusters. And a smart government
1: that realised oh geothermals can we take advantage of that and they've done that and so well done to them. We've got something that's just as good if not better than geothermals in that we've got two advantages in Australia. We've got a big chunk of land And it's a big chunk of land that we live on here. And we've got lots of sun and probably a fair bit of wind as well. So we could be producing lots of green power and then decide what we want to do with that. We're not, unfortunately. But the WA government has finally said, you know what? We think there's a bit in this. We think this whole hydrogen thing, we might be able to do something with this, but we want to produce it in the right way. So they've basically gone out. They've put a fair bit of money in behind this to start to produce some green hydrogen maps some green hydrogen processes, projects, a whole range of things where they're saying to people, put your expressions of interest in, we'll put some money behind it because we think there's an industry here. And the estimation is that the in, a, in a WA alone, there'll be a $2.32 billion industry by the year 2030 of green hydrogen, of people wanting to buy right. green answer. hydrogen.
0: Fantastic! Yeah. It
1: is. And when you think about Australia, we make lots of money at the moment by digging stuff up, whether it be coal, whether it be iron ore, But at some point in time, you get to the bottom of that hole. You can't dig it up forever. Sure, it might go for another one or two lifetimes, but you do get to the end, and then you've got a third world country. But if we can take advantage of our space, our sunlight, and start to produce green hydrogen, then we can keep producing that for a long time. We only need, as you say, a bit of water. We've got a bit of water around the nation. We've got some on the outskirts. So if you do this near a coast, and this particular project is all around Geraldton, which is about 400 kilometres above Perth. So when you take that, make some green hydrogen from all these might be solar panels it might be wind farms and then you've got an energy source that's easy to transport in hydrogen and is still a clean energy source because it's produced with green energy it's uh, like it ticks a lot of boxes for me I'm pretty excited about it it makes sense doesn't it it does Yeah. so we know that a government's not going to go ahead with it if it does make sense James it's
0: (laughs) it's going to be a scary one Ah, good things come to those who wait (laughs) are you happy for your wage to be paid straight in your bank account well what about if you are instead paid in shares or in Bitcoin?
1: Mm, Bitcoin, there's that magic word. There it is contains. again, yeah. It, it's actually, I would have thought, illegal. Just and in fact, if we go back a little bit in history, James... Back in about 1792, the early birth of our of our white nation, obviously Indigenous nation was here 60,000 years before that, but back around then there was no real currency because they didn't bring enough coins over from England, so the currency became rum, and of course when Governor William Bly came to Sydney in 1805, he said, rum? You can't have rum as a currency. So he effectively said, I'm going to prohibit the use of rum as a currency, next thing The The Rum Rum Rebellion. rebellion. (laughs) That's right, about uh, 1808, I think, the Rum Rebellion occurred. So that basically said we wanted to use rum as a currency. (laughs) We've moved on since then, (laughs) and now it's illegal to pay someone in anything other than cash or direct deposit in their bank account. You can't pay them in product. You can't pay them in other services. You've got to pay them in cash. But there are people who say... I would be happy paying or being paid in Bitcoin. There was a recent survey that said 24% of people said they'd like to be paid their weekly in wage.
0: imaginary currency. <laughs>
1: that's, that's right. So any of my staff that would answer yes to that survey, I'd say, well, obviously you're not intelligent enough to work for me what, anymore <laughs> because <laughs> what, what a crazy my, idea. <laughs>
0: Monopoly <my nubbly> money. <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> the, the
1: really interesting part here is that 14% of those said that the reason they would do it is because Bitcoin is rising in value which sounds fine if it's rising in value, but what happens if you pay them one week and it drops in value? Then suddenly mm. that employee says, hold on, I don't want to be paid in Bitcoin last week. Can you can you pay me in normal cash last week? No, sorry, I've already paid you.
0: Because I don't understand what is backing Bitcoin other than people's desire to have Bitcoin.
1: Other than people going, I'm going to miss out. Fear of missing out, I think, yeah, is what's backing fear of missing, Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, yeah right. Part, so,
0: yeah, as you say, so it might be worth 50000 one day, yep. and then the next week it can drop $30,000 worth. Yeah, you know,
1: it just... could be. So imagine being that employee that took your wage that week. I'll take all of my wage this week in Bitcoin, and the next week you've got nothing. Good. Someone yeah. buy me a coffee, I've got no no. Bitcoin. Bitcoin left, So it sounds fraught with danger. The other thing is that 10% of people said it would help them invest before tax. Now, I'm not sure if the ATO would be completely happy about a system being set up <laughs> where you can get paid to effectively avoid tax. But I just still find it fascinating that people would be happy to be paid in Bitcoin. So it's, mm. it seems to me that – and different age groups were different, uh, as you had – Older people, they were, they were less happy, but the, the sort of younger people were a bit happier to be paid in Bitcoin. And, and kind of that makes sense. They're willing to adopt a new technology, I suppose. So it's, it's really fascinating, I think, that this is the society that we've got now where, as you say, some sort of imaginary mo- monopoly money yep, sure, pay me in that and I'll be happy well until it goes down in value that I mightn't be happy anymore.
0: Well, and, and we've also got the issue with uh, other cryptocurrencies co- sort of coming to to rise too. Was it Dogecoin? Was oh, one? Doggy coin? I think yeah, there's one there. I just, so. Um, yeah, so if I invent a currency and kind of try and get that to take off, does that then become viable to pay to my, to my So Mr.
1: I've got an idea here. Maybe we could just invent, you know, have a business that's called Widgets R Us and invent Widgets R Us currency and then pay all your employees in Widgets R Us. And, yeah coin maybe oh, so goodness <laughs> it's yeah. a, it sounds like a scary world when you start talking about <laughs> bitcoin use for a, a, a wage it's yeah, anyway well, that's talking cool. about
0: surreal this is starting to look more and more like a salvador Dalí painting every day
1: i think rum i'd actually i'd go back yeah, to the old I rum go i think that. i'd prefer to be paid in rum rather than being paid in bitcoin
0: <laughs> well thank you very much matt for another fantastic week of tech talk i've been your host james eddy and folks tune in again next week for another great tech talk